Good morning. I'm glad to see you all here today. So as you know, this is Halloween season, and you've heard that tonight is the big trunk or treat. Well, my son Mason and I, he's now 11 years old. Some of you probably know him. Uh, he and I started a little bit early, and we went to our first Indie Scream Park haunted attraction this year. And uh, we went with his Boy Scout troop. It's a tradition for them, first time for Mason and I. So if you're not familiar with what a Scream Park is, it's not just one haunted, haunted house. It's five haunted attractions. And they all have the same ghouls you would expect. We've got zombies and cannibals and the science, mad scientists aren't so mad, but now they are infected with a retrovirus. And there are scary clowns. There was also this one that was pitch black. There was no light anywhere except for where you knew something was going to jump out and get you. So the way we made our way through this pitch black maze was to follow a rope that was attached to the wall. It's totally dark. And then near the end, the rope ended. And so then we had to grope through open dark blackness to find our way to the light on the other side of the door. I won't tell you what happened in that darkness in case any of you still want to go. So the apocalypse uh, type writing in the Bible kind of gives us that feeling too. Uh, we feel like it is um, that point in time when God is going to pass judgment for all of humanity's atrocities and leave us standing alone in the dark. And in fact, the lexico dictionary definition is an event involving destruction or damage on a catastrophic scale. And we often see the prophets uh, in calling Israel to repent and to turn back to God. But in actuality, apocalypse works to show the actions of God within the actions of the world. The Greek word apocalypsis means to reveal or to uncover. And our scripture today is considered an apocalyptic text. And it's a writing from a prophet by the name of Joel. It's written in the typical poetic fashion of the First Testament. And in it, the people were in the midst of a famine that was caused by a drought and a plague of locusts. The food was gone, the herds were suffering, the harvest was non-existent, and the people were starving. Now in the ancient Near East, you should know that while the Israelites were God's people, that doesn't mean they didn't believe in the existence of other deities. So the other nations around them all prayed to other deity or deities for protection and providence. And those other nations, well, all nations really in that Mediterranean area, held to the idea of honor and shame. And so enemies would taunt and mock the gods of the people that they controlled. So when Yahweh did not prevent the hardship of the famine that was in the Israelite people, 
the Israelites were shamed among the nations. Joel 2.17b says, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, Where is their God? The larger nations looked down on Israel and mocked that their God, Yahweh, was not good enough to avert natural disaster. Did you know that even in today's world, targeting and killing an army chaplain is a shaming tactic of the opposing force? It has a way of decreasing the morale of the troops. It has a way of saying to people, where is your God if your God isn't protecting your holy person? So in a similar way, the nation of Israel was being shamed by the ruling powers around them. So in the midst of this darkness of plague and famine, Joel calls the people to God. And Joel, now, unlike the other prophets in the First Testament, does not tell us what was the sin of the people. And scholars think that there had to be something they were doing. A good God would not cause his own people to starve. They insist on the sin, judgment, repentance, and blessing model, which is the same honor and shame idea of the ancient Mediterranean people. So, you know, it's kind of like people getting a big scarlet letter, a tattoo across the forehead, put in the stocks, or hung naked on a cross. Those are all shaming techniques to make others conform to a community standard. Shame can be used by those who hold power over another, often to enforce a particular behavior, and it can happen both culturally and individually. In our Western culture today, we continue to make strides in understanding and turning away from shame techniques. But we still use shame to get others to conform to be like us. Or we end up treating them like second place citizens. So for example, when we don't listen to what another person has to say, whether it's because they dress down or maybe their education level is lower, we're saying, in essence, you're not good enough. Or maybe they're younger. So when your son or daughter tells you something, do you listen intently and ask questions to further the dialogue? Or do you bend the conversation in such a way that gets them to ask the question differently, to tell them how they should be thinking? Or maybe there's someone older than you are and you feel that they're out of touch. By not giving them voice, we're effectually saying you're not good enough. Now these are all subtle forms of shaming that we do culturally, not just individually. But shame is driven deep into our psyches, into that deep dark blackout within ourselves. Shame makes us feel small and ashamed and unworthy. We withdraw and close ourselves off from other people, and it causes us to bow under its weight. 
Shame is when we feel at our core inadequate and undeserving. So when I was in high school, I tried out for Barriette, which is kind of like a dancing cheerleader, kind of like the routines they have at um, sporting events today. I didn't try out because I actually thought I would make the team or the dance troupe. I did it because my friend wanted to. I didn't make the first cut because I was not trained in dance. My friend didn't make the cut because neither of us were members of the popular girl group. She was crushed and ashamed, not because she wasn't a good dancer, because she was. She was very good. But she didn't make it because she was not good enough because of who she was. Now, four years later, as a high school senior, I looked forward to participating in the Powder Puff football team. So that's the girl football team on homecoming that actually gets to play football. <clears throat> I did not make the team because I was told I was too small and too quiet in class, which is kind of what you're supposed to do. Um, so when I approached my teacher slash coach, because I really wanted to play, he said, what would you do if Sissy Dillon came after you? And without thinking, I said, she'd have to catch me first. Now, I wasn't a cheeky girl back then, but that comment got me on the team. And you know, I actually did make several flag tackles on game day. Now, do you remember Sissy Dillon? She was a very big girl, and she came from the other side of the tracks. She had a bad attitude. She was mean, and had a, she was known for getting into fights. How do you suppose she got that way? Shame can lead to internalized anger and can lead to both physical and emotional violence, both to ourselves and to others. Perhaps she felt shame and violence is the way she dealt with it. How many times have we seen in the news where bullying has caused a suicide? How many times has a shooting been either to cause shame aimed at people who weren't conforming or because the perpetrator felt too much shame. According to a 2010 study on the trajectory of shame, guilt, and pride during the lifespan, the Journal of Personality and Social Behavior reports that shame, guilt, and pride are all important self-conscious emotions. They're important because they play a significant part in the way our, we, our moral judgment, social behavior, and mental well-being is developed. Shame is an interesting emotion. It starts early in our lives and continues to develop depending on the way our brains are processing the stuff around us and in us. It is commonly thought that abuse causes the shame to take hold. But every one of us likely deals with shame in some form, despite the best of upbringings. And I dare say most of us have probably caused shame in others. To help define what we're talking about, the study states 
that shame implies the perceived or feared loss of social status and a failure to live up to one's own standards of excellence. Guilt often implies a real or imagined transgression. So you can see here kind of the difference between shame and guilt. Shame is what is in us, and when other people pile upon good, that has a tendency to lift up. If they pile on bad, it has a tendency to build the shame within us. Guilt is that thing that you can affect because you can make reparations to whatever you did wrong, right? So that's the difference between shame and guilt. According to this study, shame tended to be negatively related to our physical well-being, while shame-free guilt showed positive relations with well-being. Education and social class, had, social class had very little effect on the trajectory. In terms of ethnicity, shame was highest in whites and lowest in blacks. And I found it particularly interesting that gender played a significant role. On average, women reported experiencing more shame and guilt than men. So according to Dr. Roca of the National Institute of Mental Health and Dr. New, who's a psychiatrist at Mount Sinai in New York City, they say women are shamed throughout their lives in ways in which men are not. The first um, of these examples would be in puberty. As we develop through puberty, we are told to pay attention to our bodies and to our appearance and then get conflicting statements about we should or should not be looking like. Body shaming is a big deal these days. In the business world, outspoken women are considered too loud or pushy, whereas men are not. As moms, we're expected to do everything well with a smile on our face. But then if we remain single and never marry, well then we're still shamed as not being good enough. But you know, there is hope. The hope God gives us is like that rope in that blackout apocalypse. Hope is the rope that can lead us through our pitch black darkness in the light into the light of Christ. God, our creator, made the dark night. But God also made the moon and the stars in a myriad of little voices in the night, chirping and singing. God knew there would be times of famine, but God also prepared for times of feast. Joel proclaimed for the Jews that the time was near when the locusts would be gone and the rains would come. The threshing floors would be full and the vats of oil and wine would be overflowing. The Lord, just like the rope, was in the midst of of their darkness, right there with Israel in the midst of their suffering. When the people remained steadfast in God, loving and helping one another, God was seen in action through the actions of the world. So in the midst of darkness and shame comes the light of hope. How then can we find our way out of shame when we are mired in a culture 
which promotes shame in some to strengthen others or to enforce conformity rather than diversity. Jesus is our hope that like that rope who helps guide us through the dark space. When we are bent under the weight of shame, we can humble ourselves before God, asking for strength, help, perseverance. And we can be encouraged knowing that God is with us in Jesus Christ and will redeem us in our weaknesses. The Bible tells us throughout that God's attributes are steadfast love and mercy, not shame. God doesn't want us to be ashamed. God empowers us through Jesus Christ. And we have assurance from Jesus that when we pray, God will be answering us. And when we find that God is revealed in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, then we can trust that God is with us acting in our midst now, despite the garbage. God reveals the sham of shame and the strength in hope. God is here right now, moving your, and, your heart in a way that maybe only you know. God is calling you to be healed from your shame and calling you to partnership in the Holy Spirit. Stop and listen. How are you being called out of shame and into hope? Let us pray. God in heaven, our loving maker, Thank you for all that you are. You made us fearfully and wonderfully in your image, but we still shrink from your call. God, you are so big and we are so small. It's difficult for us to understand how deep and wide is your love for us. Your steadfast love never ceases, and your mercies do not end. By awesome deeds, you answer us with deliverance. O oh God of our salvation, you are the hope of all the ends of the earth and the farthest seas. Thank you for the hope that allows us to identify the sham of shame in our lives and to break free from it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.